All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss uh, being back. We're back here after the All-Star break. Uh, We're not quite back from the All-Star break, I guess. The All-Star festivities are now done, and we'll be able to talk about some of that. We'll talk about that in the first segment. Nothing too crazy. Uh, definitely feel like this was a relatively uneventful thing. Uh, but in general, it's just nice to be back. I tried to stay offline as much as I possibly could over the course of the weekend, but I definitely did fail. And that's too bad. But look, in general, the Nuggets are back in the swing of things. They will be practicing tomorrow. Uh, to tomorrow evening, which I think is a very interesting time for them. That's not something that they normally do, but it should be fun, should be exciting. Really excited to be able to get everybody in here. Hello, Garrett. Nice to see you. Hello, George. Nice to see you too. Uh, Dylan says, whole All-Star weekend was a mess. Pretty grim with the only high- highlight uh, was a fly high-flying G League player. Sorry, I can't read today. Uh, yeah, like it was uh, it was not my favorite All-Star weekend. We'll just we'll probably leave it at that for now. Uh, Hurricane says, uh, will visiting Cleveland be worse than watching the All-Star weekend? Uh, I'm actually not going to Cleveland. I'm, I'm not going to go on any uh, trips for the remaining regular season, unfortunately. So I uh, got that word just just uh, last week. So. It's unfortunate. I wish I was going, even if it was to Cleveland, but I will be here. Uh, But that'll make it easier for uh, these shows. That'll make it easier for things like this for me to be able to do. So not going to be that big of a deal. But tonight we are going to do some all-star game reaction. Nothing too crazy. Going to have a good time with it. Probably not going to, or not. Look, kind of like Nikola Jokic, we're not going to really stress about it that much because it's really not that big of a deal. And it's just, it's not something that people need to be stressed over at all. I certainly wasn't. I was playing uh, board games with my friends, Ava and Brent. And like, we had a great time. It was was way better than watching the three-point contest or anything like that. Uh, So I'm not going to sit here and belabor the point. Uh, At this point, I think that Denver, uh, they're happy with having a break. They didn't need anybody at the All-Star break when it was all said and done. Although I will say, uh, I did watch the highlights of Julius Randle and Kevin Herter and guys like that. Uh, they were they were uh, ooh, it was it was a pretty ugly three point contest and if you if you can't tell me that Aaron Gordon would have done a better job than Jericho Sims or pretty much anybody on that all star pa- on that that slam dunk panel you're crazy like it would have been way more fun for more Nuggets to be involved from a Nuggets fan perspective especially because like look Joker doesn't really try that hard in the All Star game and so that was one thing that. Uh, really stood out is that Denver, they had Michael Malone calling rage timeouts and some of the other coaches that were there. And Nikola Jokic was there and he made some occasional fun plays, but overall it was just, it was, it was not that fun, but uh, let's just get to the all-star draft here real quick. Um, I think that at this point, 
look, there, there's been a lot made of this. There's been a lot. Uh, I, I believe Jokic when he says, oh, yeah, I didn't actually see Larry Markinen out there sitting next to him. Or he wasn't even really next to him. They're kind of uh, separated by by some space. I, I It's not like they were sitting right next to each other or anything like that. But uh, I do believe that Jokic didn't really see Larry Markinen. He, he kind of has this, uh, like he's, he's resigned to, oh, I guess I was the last guy. Probably a little bit frustrated by it, if I'm being honest, but uh, probably just didn't really know that that something like that was happening. Although there has been discussion about whether this was all staged in general and, and whether he knew that Larry would be the final pick. Although Draymond Green said on the broadcast that he thought that Larry would be the pick and that Joker would have been left last. So that was uh, that was interesting. But look, the draft was weird. It, it, there were some fun moments. I thought that Giannis forgetting that he couldn't draft Ja was pretty hilarious. That was a good one. Uh, and I had put this out before the draft. I think the funniest outcome would have been Joker being drafted last on his birthday because I don't care because I, I don't, I feel pretty self-confident in Joker's abilities as a basketball player and don't really feel the need to uh, like tell everybody how great he is because of his all-star drafting status. That's just not like, that's not something that people have to do or, or shouldn't have to even really go about. But look, there were, there are a lot of people that felt that way. There are a lot of people that felt like this was a slight and I, I can understand why I think that uh, LeBron James drafting Joel Embiid when he's going to get one of the two centers, like it's a pretty dumb decision. If I'm being honest, if, if I'm, grading LeBron James on a curve here for his all-star game drafting skills. But like uh, he was going to get either Jokic or Embiid. He wasn't going to get both. And, and then he ended up getting both because of the way that things played out. It's actually by his uh, own poor drafting that I think that team Giannis had a way better draft. They had a better, more equipped starting lineup for players that are actually going to try. And that was, that was definitely a thing. That was definitely an issue heading into that actual game because for being honest the all-star game was kind of boring it was not fun it was a very very unenjoyable broadcast and look i cover the league i cover the nuggets i want this thing to be fun i want this thing to be enjoyable and it would be nice if the nuggets were able to be a part of it a little bit more but that's not the most important thing I think that the most important thing for the league is for it to be fun and enjoyable and entertaining. And I don't think it was any of those things. I don't think that watching guys jog up and down the court was a really enjoyable experience for anybody. I thought that there were a lot of people like I, I think the quote that Michael Malone had after uh, the post game that went around that was basically like uh this was the worst game ever played in NBA history or something like that. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty bad. I think that is a pretty accurate referendum on, on how competitive the actual game was and how fun the actual game was. I don't know of anybody that actually enjoyed it. I think Kendrick Perkins was saying that he enjoyed it. Okay, dude, like you got to watch Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum go back and forth for like two minutes of a third quarter. But was there anything that, really stood out as enjoyable during that time. Damian Lillard pulling up from half court. That was great. Of course, he was one of seven at one point in this game and then made some more uh, towards the end of it. But look, I, I think that 
if you're going to have a game where nobody tries, like, you've got to at least make it more enjoyable and, and have guys going all out for reverse dunks and things like that. Like it, it just, it didn't feel like guys were really into it. It didn't feel like anybody was really into the competitive aspect of it. And it didn't really feel like anybody wanted to get hurt. And you can see why. You saw, saw that LeBron James, the one time he decided to play defense and try to block Shea Gilgis Alexander's shot, he hurts his finger on the rim. Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Like, either you're going to try or you're going to get hurt. Is that where we're at with this thing? Like, there were so many guys that sat out. There were so many guys that it was just, it was very frustrating to watch the entire procedure because it, it sort of felt like, uh, a, a pretty ugly referendum on what the NBA is today. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's not actually what it was. Maybe I'm being overly aggressive with this, but watching, yeah, like here's some of the comments here. Uh, Dylan Stone says, was a glorified shoot around mixed in between plugs for shoe deals? Like, yeah. <laughs> and also George says, I can't believe Joe Missoula played Tatum 35 minutes. Clearly, Tatum had an interest in going for the All-Star Game MVP, and he went and, and got, got 55 points out of it. And that's great. That's what he wanted to do. He was probably the only guy outside of maybe one or two others that really tried. And you could see it very clearly when uh, there, was, there was a play right at the beginning where Luka was dribbling and Ja was defending him and Jokic was – he had a switch on Donovan Mitchell in the paint – and Luca just kind of casually dribbles around Jaw into the paint and has a layup on the other side of the rim. And Donovan Mitchell hasn't moved. And Jokic could have been posted up on the inside and, and received an interior pass for a layup or something like that. But he wasn't about to post up anybody. Like it's it's bad etiquette to post up somebody. Like how how dare he try or, or anything like that? It just sort of seems like. It it just sort of seems like this was this was really bad. Joey says terrible All Star game. Uh, Hurricane says the All Star game was justification for all the mustiest complaints about the NBA. There's absolutely no way you can convince me the crustiest haters are wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that hated. There's and there was a lot of people that I think were pretty upset that this was the product that the NBA showed out there. And in addition. Like you, you also have Carl Malone and, and LeBron James hugging at center court, like in between halves. Like, what are we doing here? There's there's just so much that the NBA got wrong with this weekend. And to me, it felt like a pretty poor referendum on where the NBA is right now in terms of actually generating consistent interest in their product and interest in their players in promoting the product. Because it's just not enjoyable. And I don't know what the answer is. I'll have some things on the other side that, that maybe we could help out with. But I do think that Nikola Jokic in general deserves better than this. Two-time MVP. Why was LeBron James the all-star captain? Like, why should he be the all-star captain? He tried and he missed a bunch of open shots and he like was way off on a lot of stuff and I don't know. It, it just sort of feels like this was the this was the time for LeBron to shine, and I do not think that we're going to get a whole bunch of uh, 
like we're, we're not going to get a whole bunch of great LeBron moments to end his career uh, from now till the end of his career. I think that this was pretty much a swan song, of course. And I just don't know what else there's going to be. What, what is the what is the next thing that LeBron is going to do? I don't think they're making the playoffs. I don't think that there's going to be anything like that. So, look, I, I think the changing of the guard needs to happen. And guys like Luca, guys like Joker, guys like Ja, they're going to have to be better at making sure that the intensity is higher because – or, or the like, the NBA is going to have to force it out of them by changing up the formats and doing things that are different and and making it so that it's an interesting, fun, enjoyable, competitive environment. But I just don't think that they're going to be able to get to that point. Um, I wasn't surprised that Joker was kind of slighted in the draft specifically. I wasn't surprised that the game kind of went the way that it did, where he attempted four shots and I think Kyrie attempted like 16, LeBron attempted 11, and the shots that Jokic got, like he had two putbacks, I'm pretty sure, and he had one flailing, falling out of bounds three that that he attempted, and then he attempted one alley-oop dunk, which was hilarious itself, but like, look, the game is just not meant for Jokic, because when he's not trying, it's very visible, because uh, it's it's very clear that his not trying, the speed that he plays at is way even slower than when other guys are not trying. It's very, very difficult. It's difficult for him to kind of fit in and assimilate into that kind of culture. So look at stuff. I'm I'm definitely of the mind that Joker's probably going to not care about this at all. I'm of the opinion that he is going to probably take a couple of days. Uh, getting back into the flow of things in the post all-star break schedule. But once he gets back into the flow, the dude is going to go on an absolute tear. And the last 20 to 23 games of the, of the actual regular season, Jokic is going to be doing some crazy things. Um, yeah. Uh, Zach says Joker is an outsider, not into clubs. Uh, well, okay. We don't have to have the rest of that on, but like, I look, I think that Joker is kind of outside the club. I think that if there was a club, he would definitely not be in it. And that's fine. He's still trying to work his way in. But once you get uh, away from, I think, the, the previous generation of All-Star, then he'll, he'll have his own club. I think that will be some of it for sure. Like, if Luca is in a club, Joker is Luca's friend. Like, those two are going to be tied together for a while. So either way... That's enough complaining. Uh, All-Star game needs to be better than what it was. Uh, I'm not going to go into any of the Nick Wright stuff or any of the stuff that I was seeing online that was like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the way the Joker played the All-Star game and the way that they picked All-Star starters like, is a referendum on Joker's place as an MVP. Like, I just don't care enough to like, put energy towards that. So I'm not going to. And this is not what that podcast is going to be about. So rant over. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go over mailbag questions. And so if anybody wants to drop questions into the comments, make sure to drop those there or else I've got some comments here all lined up and ready to go. But first, as everybody knows, this podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. 
No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app now or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate everybody for the love and support on the podcast, as always. Uh, if you can, drop a like if you're in the live feed, as, as many of you right now probably are. Uh, drop a like on the YouTube uh, page. Make sure to subscribe to the Mile High Sports channel. Definitely had some major growth on the MHS YouTube channel. That's been awesome for sure. So thank you so much, everybody, for doing that. It's been great. Uh, and if you're on the podcast side of things, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. That would be fantastic. All right. Let's now go over some mailbag questions. Going to have some fun with this. Uh, if you have questions in the comments section, let's see what everybody's doing. Um, Garrett says... Most important thing you want to see in the last 23 games, this comes from Garrett Reese or Rice, uh, continued improvement from MPJ, bench stability, good road wins. Uh, great question. I think that at this point, I want to see health. I want to continue to see Denver get their team fully healthy. Uh, Jamal obviously was dealing with some right knee inflammation. I don't think that that's going to be a long-term issue by any stretch. But what I will say is that you do not want any nagging injuries because February 20th is now. Four months from now is when the NBA Finals should end, or just under four months. So you're potentially playing for another four months. And there will be some breaks. You're not going to have any back-to-backs in the playoffs or anything like that. But those games are intense. I've heard that a lot from people, that... And, and especially players that have gone through this entire process, the playoffs are a different beast when it comes to intensity. And that's going to be a lot of miles for Denver starters, for even Christian Brown, who may hit the rookie wall at some point. So I think that Denver adding Reggie Jackson, Denver adding Thomas Bryant, it's really good for their team because it should put them into a position where they are capable And they don't have to play guys all the time. They don't have to play guys 35 minutes a night, every single night. Denver's not at the place where they have to win every single game. They've got to win enough in order to stay above Memphis. But I do think that if they just take the Memphis game seriously, they just make sure to win a couple of the the easy games that they have on the road and then just protect home court, Denver's going to be just fine. And so you don't need anything crazy during the last 23 games. That's for sure. Um, Max Smith, what are your preferred playoff matchups and teams you don't want to see? Uh, it's interesting to think about the playoff picture right now because it changes so often. 
if I look at the playoffs as they currently stand, Denver's far and away one. Memphis is kind of in their own tier at two. But Sacramento, Phoenix, and L.A. Clippers are currently separated by three losses uh, at three, four, and five. And then the T-Wolves, the Mavericks, the Pelicans, and the Warriors, and the Thunder all have 29 losses. So there is a possibility that Denver could face any of those teams. And trying to figure out who Denver's going to face in the playoffs right now really is a fool's errand. Uh, If I had to have a preference between any of those teams, basically anybody in the 1 through 10, uh, I would probably say OKC because OKC, they still don't have anybody to match up with Jokic. Jokic, when he is trying to get through the brick wall, there are very few teams that can actually match up with him physically, and OKC is just not that team. Denver will sell out to try to stop Shea, and they just do not have the outside shooting outside of Isaiah Joe to be able to really uh, hurt that. Like They traded Mike Muscala to the Boston Celtics. OKC did. So it's not like they have the same spacing that they did before. They'll probably still drop out, in which case they'll have either Utah or Portland or LA, the the Lakers that, that hop in there. But I'd probably choose OKC, and if not them, then Portland or Utah. One of those teams doesn't really matter to me. Though I don't think that that's a team that Denver will be facing. I have to imagine that's going to be one of Dallas, New Orleans, or Golden State. Those would be one of the three teams that I would guess would be in the play-in tournament at that 7-8-9 and then fall to Denver at that 8 seed and Denver's at the 1 seed. So going to be interesting to see which of those teams it is. Of those three teams, I would most want to face the Pelicans. Uh, no, I probably most want to, well, okay, so you can't say, oh, man, I really want Luka or, man, I really want Steph. I think I'd want to face Golden State just so that Denver can get rid of those demons because if you beat Golden State in the first round, then no other team is going to really scare you in the playoffs because Golden State's going to put you through the ringer. They're going to test you to your absolute max. And there's something to be said for that. So I don't want to see Phoenix in the first round, though that's not really going to be an issue. In the first round, I wouldn't really want to see... I wouldn't really want to see Luka and Kyrie. Like just because if they do just go absolutely off and that they're capable of doing so, then that would be pretty tough. Although, like, we've seen this matchup. Like, I don't think that there's a team in the first round that Denver really realistically could lose to. And that includes Golden State, if we're being honest. Like, I think that Denver beats Golden State pretty pretty handily now. Um, what else? Rui says, do you think we will see Zeke back on the court regarding both health and rotation? I'm not sure. I'm at, at this point, I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into the situation. There's a practice tomorrow. I will ask uh, Michael Malone to see if everybody was a full participant. Uh, there's a possibility that guys like Jokic, guys like Murray, guys like Aaron Gordon are, are partial participants, guys that they aren't really going full bore. I'm sure this is mostly, this is probably mostly a practice that's just getting people back in the building, if I'm being honest. I I can't imagine it's going to be anything crazier than that. So, but with Zeke kind of short and long term, I don't know if Denver really fully believes in him as part of their rotation. I think that they've seen what Vlaco can do 
and they're pretty happy with what Flacco can do. He has turned himself into a really, really helpful forward for the team. And Zeke, I think that they're still trying to figure out, can you play him at the power forward position and, and have a really connected team? If you play him at the center position, you're giving up rolling, you're giving up rim protection, you're giving up so many things, though you are getting better as a switch team. So he's very much a situational guy. I think you'll probably see him just a little bit in situations, but I, I don't have any reason to believe that the health concern is that bad, but he did kind of just show up and uh, as I, I think a, a knee injury and that's never good. Like you never want to see that, right? That would be, uh, that'd be tough. So hopefully it's not that bad. Hopefully it's not that crazy. Um, Astrid asks, how soon will the Nuggets have the first seed locked up? Uh, I actually did an article on this, so make sure to go check that out on milehighsports.com. I think that Denver, their magic number is 20 right now. I've talked about this before on, on this show, but I also talk about it in the article. I basically predicted that the Nuggets are going to go 15-8 and eight over the course of their final 23 games. And what that means is that 15-8, and eight, if, if uh, Memphis only loses four games, then they will pass Denver for the one seed. I don't think that they're going to lose only four games. I think they've got 25 left to go, which means that they'd have to go 21-4. and four. Are they capable? Sure. Is it likely? No. And if they are putting pressure on Denver, will Denver have a higher record trying later in the season? Probably. So my guess is that Denver wraps up the one seed in the final week of the season, probably with about three to four games left to go. And if that's the case, if that actually happens, then the Nuggets will be in a situation where they can rest in those final three or four games. How much they rest, how often they rest will be determined at a later time. But I got to imagine, like, there's a Phoenix game in that final run. There's a game in Utah. There's a Sacramento back-to-back. Like, Denver probably doesn't want to have to care about those matchups. They would rather Jokic play, like, one half of one game and then sit out the other two, especially if he's averaging a triple-double at that point. So my guess, Astrid, is about... Five days left, maybe about game 78 or 79 of the season or so. Um, let's go to actually, oh, D Human, I've seen this question come up from you too. There have only been a small number of the 20 point, 43 point, 80% free throw club, basically volume qualified 50, 40, 90. That's less free throw based. 87 McHale. And then the 60% from the field, 80% free throw. Uh, sorry, this is this is a little bit convoluted here, but I know what you're asking. I, I think that it would be cool if there was a, a new club created by Jokic based off of his efficiency. He's at 63% from the field. He's at 82, I believe, from the line, and then 39 from three. If he was at 60, 40, 80, I think that's pretty cool. If he could get up to that point, that would be great. One thing that we've seen from, from Jokic in previous years is that that three-point percentage drops off in the post-All-Star break portion. I don't think he's going to be as focused. I don't think he's going to be as locked in from the three-point line as he usually is. And maybe that's different. Maybe that's, maybe that's uh, not as true. But if he were to get to that 60-40-80 club, that would be a pretty big MVP benchmark. Nobody's ever done that before. And that would be something where 
you would absolutely have to would absolutely have to take that into account as an MVP voter. 60% from the field, 40% from three, and you're not a liability from the free throw line at all. That's a big, big deal if that were to be the case. Um, But in terms of a new club, I think it has to be round numbers, and I think it has to be easy to understand. Dehuman, I saw you you reference the 2,000-1,500 stat that we talked about last year. It was so easy to rattle off, and it was such a clear and understandable stat that people were able to really like, get behind it a lot easier. And so that's one of the reasons why I ran with it was because it was such a crazy number that nobody had ever done before. It was volume-based, so it wasn't like one of those things where, oh man, small sample size or oh, he's just doing it in small attempts or something like that. No, it was just, it was 2,000, 1,500. It was very similar, uh, very simple. And I think a lot of people decided to run with it too. So it was cool that it was as big as it was. And it would be cool if there was something else that we could talk about from that perspective for Joker in this upcoming MVP run. But I got to be honest, like there's so much hate going on with it right now that I'm just not, it's hard for me to fight that battle. I just want to see Denver win a title. I would just want to see Denver really lock in on that aspect of things. I do not care. Like, if Joker doesn't get the third MVP, am I going to think less of him as a player? Am I going to think less of his legacy? No, because I've seen the vitriol that it's been met with already. So you got to understand that sometimes things like that are going to happen. And there are reasons why people don't win the third MVP in a row. And a lot of it is not something that the player can control. So, look, not a big deal. Definitely not worried about it. But either way, should be perfectly fine uh, going forward long term. Uh, Got a couple questions, some prefab questions that were asked before. Uh, Steve asks, seemingly everyone hates the NBA All-Star Game, including most of the players. How do you spice up the All-Star Game and make it a compelling product again? Is there a way to do that? It's a great question, and I actually have ideas. I have five things that I thought might work when trying to figure out just how well, uh, how, the, how the NBA could get back to a competitive all-star game. First one, uh, you change the format to half-court 3v3. Not always going to be... Uh, you might have some people that kind of fight that. There are going to be people that want to see East versus West. But if you want to do the picking of the teams thing again, you pick half-court 3v3 teams as opposed to picking like full all-star teams. It'll make it easier for people. You have more captains. You have the, we'll say the eight players. Uh, or no, we'll do the the top two front-court players in the West, the top two back-court players in the West, the top two front court players in the East, top two back court players in the East. And they each get their own teams and you get to draft 3v3 teams. You could have to draft one other, uh, like you have to draft one front court player, one back court player, and one wild card. And that makes it easy for, I guess, understanding like how, how something like that's going to work. But it would be fun. It would be more interesting, I think, to do something like that as opposed to uh, just like, because the, the biggest problem with this game right now 
is just watching everybody jog up and up and down, back and forth, because nobody wants to move. Like everybody would rather just be stationary. And if you get it to a point where you don't have to go back and forth 94 feet every time, then I think more people will bring some actual intensity to the basketball being played, but maybe not, maybe not. Uh, another idea, a 2v2 teammate battle, where if you have a, an a all-star duo that is brought to All-Star Weekend that is voted upon by either fans or coaches, let's say it's De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, then those guys pair up in a 2v2 battle with other duos that are voted. So Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, or Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, or if it was James Harden and Joel Embiid, or it's Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray or Aaron Gordon or guys like that. And I think that that would be an interesting thing. And you don't have to do anything crazy with it, but I think it could be a game of ones and twos in the half court as well. Uh, Ones and twos to seven. Single elimination, just kind of a fun thing that people do. I don't think that you want to, like you want smaller events. I think that's what I'm I'm getting to right now. The All-Star game was like four or five hours of showmanship and showcasing people and nothing crazy, nothing fun. There was no actual basketball being played. It was all just a kind of a glorified show. And some people want that. Some people don't. Some people prefer to actually make it about basketball. So that's what I would try to do. Uh, You could do a half-court shot competition because I think people like half-court shots, like invite Flacco Chanchar out to to show everybody how it's done. Uh, You could do horse, which is something that they did during COVID, during the pandemic, but probably not something that you want to do. Like maybe you do that live and it would be more fun that way, but uh, it certainly wasn't fun uh, during COVID time. Uh, And if you want to keep the all-star game, that's fine. Just reduce the game length to 10-minute quarters or 8-minute quarters or something like that. Don't do 12-minute quarters and try to avoid the crazy stoppages. Like It's just, it was, it was pretty brutal. It, the hour-long halftime with both the performances, but also just all of the interviews about shoes and things like that, it's just brutal. So that would be my, guess, that would be my choice if, if I were to put some things together for the All-Star game. I think that there are way better ways to do it than they already did. But I kind of like the idea of a half-court 3v3 battle. Eight teams of half-court 3v3. So you have 24 players, three teams each, uh, or no, eight teams each of three, and you just do single elimination, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, things like that. Let's keep going here. Let me get back to my questions. Do a couple more before we hit another break. Um, Tyler says, hey, Ryan, on the precipice of a third MVP season, is this the year that Joker needs to make the leap and at least reach the finals? Yeah, I would say so. I've, I've never shined away from this at all. I think that this is, a, this is the time. This is the time for Joker. I think the reasonable people, people that understand how this works and how you can't just win everything by yourself, they gave him a pass for each of the last two years. They thought, okay, look, you don't have Jamal Murray. This past year, you didn't have Michael Porter Jr. The team was clearly not set up to be able to compete. So you're not going to like, it's not going to be a referendum on how great of a player you are and your legacy, things like that. 
But now that you've got Jamal Murray back, now that you've got Michael Porter back, now that the team is really geared up around that group to make a finals run, there are no excuses. And I would never shy away from that. I think if Joker doesn't get to the finals, it's a failure. I think that it's a referendum on him. I think it's a referendum on his ability to lead, or not not lead specifically, but just to be the best player on a championship team in the modern age 2023. I think that if you put him in, I don't know, 2004, like if you transported this player, Nikola Jokic, to 2004, good Lord, the dude would be unbelievable. He'd be even better than he was now. He deals with, with physicality reasonably well now, but he could also play a little bit of power forward. He wouldn't have to be at center all the time, and it would just be awesome. There would be no question as to who the best player in the world is, in my opinion. Actually, well, okay. There would still be people that would take Kobe, still be people that take LeBron, still be people that take Tim Duncan, Shaq, guys like that. But I think Jokic would make it a crazy case for himself with the way that he plays. And I think Dirk was making a case for himself during his MVP seasons. I think that his MVP season, I think that Joker's a better player. I just do. So look, Dirk won a ring and it washed away a lot of the previous takes about Dirk, how he was a choker, how back in 2007 when he won the MVP, lost to the run TMC Golden State Warriors. I think that's who they were. Uh, It was the Baron Davis Golden State Warriors. Then that was a big deal at that point because at that point in 2007, Dirk was considered a failure. He was considered a choker, a playoff choker. And then he was crazy in 2011, won against LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. And that was a big deal. And now, Joker, if he's able to do it, if he's able to go up against, I don't know, but hypothetically speaking, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker or uh, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving or James Harden and Joel Embiid or Giannis or uh, Tatum and Brown, guys like that. If he was able to get through, then a lot of people would feel differently, I think. Now, maybe that doesn't actually happen, but... I think the Joker, if, if you want to put him into a position where you put him up on this pedestal as one of the greatest players ever, I think it is fair to have winning a title as a prerequisite for that. There's a certain tier that you have to reach, uh, and you can't reach above that tier until you win a title. So I, I don't have a problem with that. It's just about the people that say, oh, he can't do it, or he will never do it. Like the dude is, he just turned 28. He's in his prime. This is right around the time where he should break through. So we will see. But tell you what, for now, let's take another break. When we come back, we will wrap up with some more mailbag questions for everybody. Should be a lot of fun. We will be right back. We're back, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap up by talking about some of the other teams or some of the other questions that were submitted. Um, but before that, actually, Garrett asked some good questions here. Um, what team has the most pressure to win a title? Us, Suns, Clippers, uh, 76ers is a good one, but like, look, the Suns, you trade for Kevin Durant. And you have Chris Paul at the end of his 
like the very tail end of his capable playing days, like where he can actually make a big difference. I think that that's where the question has to start and stop. Clippers, it's not as much of a pressure thing in my mind, but like, look, we're like, not not we, I'm sorry, the Nuggets are not, they do not have the most pressure. It is the Suns, it is the Clippers, it is the 76ers. I think the Celtics, if they are this good, then they should win a title. If they don't win a title, it's not like they can't going forward, but they, they're set up for greatness. They should win. And if they don't, then that's on them. Um, but yeah, the Sixers would be my guess as well, because look, Nikola Jokic has at least made a Western Conference Finals. Joel Embiid is not. And James Harden has had more playoff failures in the modern age than so, so many people. So that would be, it would be tough. It would be very, very tough if they went out flat. And it's very possible that they do. Joey says, where will you place Joker or Jokic's resume among the greats if he wins the title and finals MVP this year? Um, I, I think you can't have him outside of your top 25 at that point, that's for sure. But if he got an MVP, his third, if he got a title and he got a finals MVP, then you're probably broaching top 20, top 15. There are a lot of guys that have made those leaps before but there's there's also going to be a lot of people that say okay well let's see him win another one let's see him do it again i, I think it's fair to let these things play out I, I i don't have a great handle on history in terms of okay can you say full stop that Jokic was a better player than tim duncan no no you can't can you say it's he's better than dirk Nowitzki? long term greatest Probably not. Uh, Charles Barkley. I think you'd probably elevate him above Charles if he won a title and his third straight MVP. Or his third straight MVP. Yeah, you'd probably do that. Dwayne Wade. I don't know. It's hard to compare the two. There's just a lot of layers to that particular conversation. I think you gotta let it play out. It's hard for me to even process that right now, but I uh, I appreciate the thought. It's a it's something that I'll have to have somebody else on who knows. NBA history a little bit better. That would be be a fun conversation for sure. Um, Joey Baca says, whose minutes are going to suffer most after the additions of Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant? This is a great question. And I think that Denver at this point, they have a fully stacked rotation now. Assuming everybody is healthy, you've got your starters. Jokic, Murray, Porter, Gordon, KCP. Those guys are playing at least 28 minutes a night. I think that Bruce Brown is still your sixth man, still probably getting at least 20 to 25, if not more. Let's call it 25. Um, I think that Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant will be in, but I don't know how much they're going to play. Let's say they each play about 15. That'll be my guess. It doesn't leave a lot of room for... Vlako Chanchar or Christian Brown or guys like that. I do think that those guys will play, but I think that Christian Brown is probably going to be the guy that's hurt the most because he is going to be your second wing. Bruce Brown will be your first. He will be the guy that, like, sometimes he'll be in place of Murray at the one, sometimes he'll be in place of KCP at the two, and sometimes he'll be in place of Porter at the three. Most likely, especially in kind of later game scenarios, 
probably going to be Porter. So I think that he's going to play 2-3 a lot, which means that Christian Brown probably not going to play as much of those positions, which is too bad because he's been great. But if I'm going to be honest, it's okay. Like if he's your 10th man in a 10th man or in a 10-man rotation and he plays about 10 to 15 minutes a night, that's fine. And anything too crazy about that, if he plays better, then you can play him more. I do think that Denver should be going with a 10-man rotation, though, because you want to give these guys as much rest as possible. And you want to be able to play Reggie Jackson with the starters, but also with the bench. You want to be able to play Thomas Bryant with Jamal Murray a little bit, and Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter and guys like that. You want to find ways to mix and match just a little bit if you can. Uh, we'll see if they actually can do it. Um, but yeah, it's a good question for sure. Let's see. Omar says, uh, talk about the Suns matchup and what concerns you most about the other West teams going forward. Uh, yeah, that's probably the most concerning matchup in the West, right? I think that the Clippers got better. I think that the Warriors are still dangerous. They're not like to the point where I'm really too concerned. The Lakers got better, but they're still 13th. Make the play-in, and then we can talk. Um, but the Suns are the matchup that everybody has to talk about. So their hypothetical starting lineup is Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Torrey Craig, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton. Going up against Denver's starting lineup, those starters are about even, maybe leaning Suns. There are going to be a lot of pressure points that the Nuggets can that are going to be put on the Nuggets. I think that guarding Kevin Durant with Aaron Gordon is going to be tough. But if you are also switching on to Michael Porter, look, Porter's been much better in general about doing what he needs to do defensively. And Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. So Denver's going to get mixed and matched. They're going to have guys where they're going to have sometimes where Jamal Murray is guarding Kevin Durant or Michael Porter switched on to DeAndre Ayton or uh, KCP is guarding Kevin Durant or Aaron Gordon is guarding Devin Booker and probably shouldn't. There's going to be times where those switches and those mismatches are going to be tough. But I do think that Denver's offense is going to be just as tough. There's going to be tough for the Suns to guard Denver consistently. And then when you get into the bench, Denver's got different variations where they can mix and match just a little bit better than I think the Suns can right now. Reggie Jackson is going to help Denver. He's going to help them a lot. Bruce Brown will be a great guy to guard both Chris Paul and Devin Booker. As long as he is not fouling those guys, I think that Bruce Brown is going to be super, super helpful in a series like that. Is he going to guard Kevin Durant? Hell no. Nobody is. But that could be a matchup where you're looking at Zeke Naji a little bit more. Vlako Chanchar is going to have to guard Kevin Durant at times. Now that's going to be frustrating. But look, can Christian Brown get in that matchup too? Of course. Who is going to guard Jokic on the Suns? Aiton is a good Jokic defender. But the last time those two guys matched up, he put up 45, 15, and 15. So it's not like Denver can't do it. It's not like they, they have no answers there. I think that Murray will now be in an even better position where he can go off against whoever is guarding him in the starting lineup. Because who's going to guard Jamal Murray? 
Is it going to be Chris Paul? Probably not. I think Devin Booker might be the guy who has to guard Jamal Murray. And if it's not him, then it's Torrey Craig, which means that Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter, one of those guys is being guarded by Kevin Durant. The other be guarded by Devin Booker, I guess. So you're going to have a lot of potential options there where it's just going to be pretty tough for everybody to guard anybody in those matchups. But I think the Nuggets have just enough talent and just enough versatility to be able to slow down guys like Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton at various points. They can force Devin Booker into some tougher shots as opposed to letting him get 50 like he did the last time he came to Denver. So there's going to be better options there. But like, I do think that we just don't know. We just don't know at this point. And if you have a good idea of what the Suns are going to look like, then you are one of the only people that does. Because we just don't know what it's going to ultimately look like, especially defensively. Like Their offense is probably going to destroy worlds, because why wouldn't it? But they also settle for a lot of tough jumpers. If you're Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and KD. And sometimes those jumpers go in, and it breaks your back. And sometimes those jumpers don't go in. And you look like you're in game seven versus the Dallas Mavericks or game four versus the Boston Celtics if you're KD. So look, Denver's gonna be fine. They're gonna have their they're gonna have a really tough matchup, but everybody has a tough matchup. That's just how it is. Um let's go with hmm. Let's go with this one. Adam, do you think all bench lineups are done for and we'll see four bench players plus a starter at all times? And if so, does Brown get his rotation spot? Uh, I'm going to guess. Do you mean does Brown get his rotation spot cut? Uh, spoke about this just a little bit before, but I, I think that Denver's going to go with a 10-man rotation out of the break. I think that they're going to go with a five-man bench unit. And if it works, then great. They'll probably stagger just a little bit. So the, the amount of time that you spend with that five-man bench unit on the court, it'll probably be like four or five minutes from the end of the first quarter to the beginning of the second. But is it going to be anything crazy? No. Like, I don't think that you need to have Jamal Murray on the court for that unit. I think that you actually have to have Reggie Jackson, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown out there. And that makes a lot of sense. Vlatko makes sense. Thomas Bryant makes sense. It's going to be tough defensively sometimes, but you're going to just have to do it. You're going to have to take it. And I think that's better in terms of kind of accepting a lesser unit in general. And then you get to play the starters all together a lot. And those starters are going to be really good. They're the best starting lineup in the league. So you might as well try it. You might as well be fine. I don't think the Christian Brown's minutes will get cut too much, but there might be a time, let's say in mid-March, where Denver goes back to a nine-man rotation, in which case I think that Reggie Jackson will be in that nine-man rotation and Christian Brown will not be. So it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Dr. Takenstein, this was an interesting question. Morris was hyping up Murray's recent scoring output, but his offense is actually less efficient than the team's average possession. And so him increasing his offensive load is detrimental to the team unless he can do it more efficiently. Uh, sorry, the, the delay on this is a little bit too long. 
What's your take on Murray's increased load? Okay, so this is actually a really instructive time for what it means to be a star in the NBA and what it means to be taking star shots. Some of it is about generating more efficient shots. And I think that Murray has done a better job, especially um, especially like after December, like mid-December to when he went out, kind of a, a two-month stretch or so. He's done a much better job of finding more efficient shots, but he's also more comfortable taking those tougher shots and he's making them at a more efficient rate. There is a certain threshold in the half court that it's actually a about a 1.0 points per possession, like 50% that you want to exceed in the half court because most of the time when you're getting out in transition, when you're pushing the tempo, there will be other opportunities for easier baskets. But when you're in the half court specifically, you can take a little bit of a less efficient shot. The great thing about Jokic is that he takes tough shots. He takes them at inefficient places on the court, like the mid-range, like outside the restricted area, in the floater zone, places like that, the baseline. Like he'll, he'll take those baseline jumpers or, or mid-post jumpers, and he'll swish them all the time. He takes those and makes those at a better rate, a more efficient rate than anybody in the NBA. So it props up Denver's overall offense. Murray is a normal good or a normal elite slash normal great mid-range shooter. He's finding his footing there for sure. And it's probably that it's probably best that he doesn't always rely on that. But I don't think it's an accident that his most efficient and most effective games have been where he is just letting it fly from three with reckless abandon. Those are fun. Those are great games for him because he is then at a position where he can always take an efficient shot. Most threes are. That's just how the modern NBA works. And so what Denver's offense does is they focus on tougher Jokic shots that he converts at an incredible rate, tougher Murray shots that he converts at a good rate, and easy corner threes and dump-offs and kickouts for everybody else. Everybody else is taking awesome shots, elite shots, easy shots, because Jokic and Murray take the hard ones. And you don't get one without the other. You don't get those easy shots all the time unless you have somebody that is capable of taking the hard shots. I think that's what you saw in the playoffs last year for Denver. They didn't get as many of the easy shots that they wanted. They had an efficient offense, to be clear, but a lot of that was Jokic just running through the brick wall on a consistent basis. They needed somebody who could take those tougher shots and make them at a, at a good rate, not even a great rate, just so that they didn't have to set up the opposing guys or the other guys on the team to take even tougher shots that they couldn't make at the rate that Murray makes them. So look, this is probably the reason why Murray isn't an all-star. He doesn't shoot with volume at the most efficient spots on the court. He is one of those guys that works his way into the most comfortable places on the court where he is. And he makes those shots at a good rate, which isn't bad. And it actually translates to the playoffs better. It's why he's a great playoff player in general. So I think that Denver's going to be fine. I think Murray's going to be fine. And Denver's offense is going to be great because of his capability to do that. Not just because 
of Jokic's dominance, not just because of the efficient shots from everybody else. Murray takes on enough of that efficient scoring load all the time, and he does it on inefficient shots a lot of the time himself. So him being able to do that and convert those at a good rate helps everybody else. It isn't just like a a situation where, oh, he's taking bad shots, so therefore he is bad. Or he is like his true shooting percentage is only like 57 and a half and not 59 or 60. Like like the reason why Aaron Gordon is as efficient as he is is because he's able to kind of riff off of that. Porter, same thing. Like those guys benefit from those harder shots that Murray takes. So that's all it is. It's not anything crazy. I just think that Murray is underappreciated for that reason a lot of the time. Sometimes you need somebody to take over in those tougher spots on the court. And he does that. All right, just a couple more questions here. Let's check the comments, actually. Um, uh, Garrett says, good point on this, Ryan. Look at Tatum's efficiency. It isn't just amazing, but when you factor in how hard most of the shots are, it's why it's so impressive. Exactly. That's why we have, there are different metrics, and a B-ball index does this really well, actually. They have a shot-making metric which takes into account how difficult the shot is. Now, sometimes you shouldn't be taking tough shots all the time. There's a balance there. And it's why Jokic and Murray, when they just do two-man game, it isn't great. When they just do Jokic-style offense, sometimes it doesn't work. Most of the time, you need a balance there. Sometimes you need to just generate a really good shot, and that's it. Um. What is the banner that I just have here? Okay. Kalis, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is Kalis. Uh, what lineup rotations that are a mix of the starters and the bench do you predict will be heavily played? Also, what lineups are you most fascinated about seeing more of? Uh, if I had to pick one that was kind of mixed between the two, let's do one Jokic lineup and one non-Jokic lineup. If we're talking Jokic lineups, I want to see what Reggie Jackson looks like with Jokic. I want to see what Christian Brown looks like at the two. I want to see CMPJ at the three. Actually, you know what? Let's do this. We'll do Reggie Jackson, KCP, Christian Brown, Michael Porter, Nicole Jokic. I want to see those five guys together. I want to see what Reggie Jackson looks like running pick and roll with Jokic, how that's different from how he has normally run it, what he does, what he's good at, And then I want to see Christian Brown and KCP on the wings. And I want to see MPJ at the four. We don't get to see enough of MPJ at the four. I think he plays a lot of three and probably could benefit from playing some four at some points. That would be my preferred lineup to see over the course of these next few weeks. Uh, But in terms of non-Jokic lineups, I would say... um, actually, And I'm I'm just reading your question here that you predict will be heavily played. Uh, I will say that the Aaron Gordon Nikola Jokic lineup with uh, Reggie Jackson, Bruce Brown, and KCP. Reggie Jackson, Bruce Brown, KCP, Aaron Gordon Jokic. That would be my guess as to the most common lineup going forward. Uh, that is not a starting lineup uh, or an entirely bench lineup. Um, and then the non Jokic lineup that I'm thinking of will go Thomas Bryant because that's important. I want to see Aaron Gordon with Thomas Bryant, somebody who's a little bit more defensive than uh, Vlatko. 
I want to see Christian Brown at the three. I want to see Reggie Jackson at the one. And I want to see Jamal Murray at the two. I want to see what two point guards looks like. I want to see what Christian Brown and Aaron Gordon look like. And then I want to see an actual pick and roll center. That seems like a good idea. Um, will it actually happen? I don't know. I think that that's probably one where you're, you're probably not getting as much of that going forward, but we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. Um, just a couple more questions here. Let's see. Let's do actually one more. How long is this Nuggets championship window open, assuming Stan Kroenke or Josh Kroenke is willing to stay in the luxury tax? This comes from Miles. Um, Jokic is 28, just turned 28. I don't see any reason why Denver, like this window should be open as long as he is playing at an elite level. I don't know what Murray's trajectory is going to look like. I don't know what Michael Porter's trajectory, Aaron Gordon's trajectory. Aaron Gordon strikes me as a guy that is going to probably be less efficient and effective as he leaves his physical prime. So that'll be something to watch. Michael Porter, I don't know how long his back is going to hold up. I don't know what that's going to look like long-term for his body. But I do think that assuming the Cronkies are willing to stay in the luxury tax, as long as you have Jokic and Murray and they're playing happily together, the championship window is open. It's why when you see Draymond Green and Steph Curry, they're still available. They're still healthy. They're still doing their thing. Even though they're in the eight seed or the nine seed or whatever, wherever they're at right now, people still don't want to discount them. They still want to put them into a position and on that pedestal where they are always going to be available for that, where they're always going to be championship caliber. I don't know if they actually are. I don't know if anybody knows if they actually are. But what I will say is that Denver at this point, I think that Jamal is going to continue to grow. I don't see any reason why he gets worse. I think he's one of those guys that continues to download information. And as he continues to get better physically and uh, just a little bit like more well-rounded and like his game is already very well-rounded, but I do think that he's at a point just the way that he's seeing the court, the way that he's passing, the way that he's creating for guys, I think he's turning himself into a player that can function both with and without Jokic. And if that's the case and Denver has two pillars, then that's always going to be available to them. They're always going to have a chance if those guys are healthy and available. So Jokic hasn't started his Supermax contract yet. He's in the last year of his previous contract. So he is under contract through 2028, somewhere around there. So this year and then the next five years after that. I think that's 2028. So if he is available, if he is healthy, Denver's window is open. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. They'll have to figure some things out. Jokic will have to continue to stay in great physical condition. He'll have to be able to move, or else Denver's going to have to find ways to cover up for some of his defensive weaknesses as he slows down, because that's also a factor here. But if they can meet in the middle there, and he's moving fast enough, moving quick enough defensively to continue to take advantage of how great he is offensively, There is no reason why they can't win a title going forward. But if Denver does win a title, I wonder how long he's going to be super interested in continuing to go for it again and again and again. So we will see about that. But for now, 
Folks, I think that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Had a really, really good time here with everybody being able to speak about everything that's going on. We are having fun. Had a good time. Thank you for asking questions on the mailbag. This was a good episode. Got 76 people in here. Went for over an hour. This was really, really good. And I really, really appreciate all of the questions that everybody asked on the line, as well as in the chat. So if you are still here, if you're hanging out, make sure to give this a like on your way out the door. If you are not, make sure to just uh, come back and visit this and make sure to share this out. This was always, it's always fun, but I want to make sure that everybody enjoys it. So that's why I know that they're enjoying it if they tell me thank you so much everybody for tuning in appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always we'll talk to you guys very soon